Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com. Hello, it's Jan Hansen, and I'm here with Robin Kermit. Hello. And today we're going to tackle a really interesting topic. It's time for Q&A. The irony is not lost on me, the fact that I'm asking questions and you're giving me answers. So <laughs> we've got a form of Q&A going on here, but of course I haven't heard a speech. I really wanted to start from the perspective of a person giving the speech. Are there some people who just dread the Q&A part of their talk? Well, I find there are two types of people. There are the people who feel more confident with a rehearsed speech and they're terrified of the Q&A bit because they have unexpected questions. And there are other people who don't like the straitjacket, the formality of a presentation, and they're much more comfortable in a Q&A. Yeah, but, but what if nobody asks a question? <laughs> yeah, of course, that's the eggy thing, isn't it? So you stand there and you go, any questions? A any questions? <laughs> No, no questions at all? None? Oh, none at all? And then you feel about So what I always do is I wait three beats and then I come in with a rehearsed question. So you ask yourself a question? Well, rhetorically, <laughs> as if somebody else yeah, had yeah. asked me. So yeah. what, but I have it prepped. So I say, so I, we have a few moments for questions if anyone would like to. And in my head, I go one, two, three. And if nobody comes in in that time, I said, it's interesting because I was talking to Janet earlier and she said to me, will you be covering this area? And I said, well, we can cover it in Q&A. So why don't I answer that question now? I could say, here's a question people often ask. I could do that one. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make the audience feel very special. Much better, I think, to pretend that somebody actually asked you that question. Right, right. Top tip. So knowing that you're going to take Q&A at the end of your speech, what do you say at the top of your speech to prep for it? The standard way of starting a speech used to be, hello, I'm Robin, I'm going to speak for about 20 minutes, and then my colleague will speak for about 20 minutes, and then we'll take Q&A at the end. And I think that's an unnecessarily boring start, really. I'd rather okay. get straight in with it. I think halfway through, you can say, obviously, we can discuss this particular area in more detail later on, so do feel free to ask questions at the end. Yeah. So you can signal that. Yeah. Otherwise, you get to the end, and then you say, I have time for some questions if you want. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Are there some common mistakes that people make? Well, sometimes people just go straight into the Q&A. So they'll say, that's the end of my speech, thank you very much, any questions? Oh, no time for applause. It's rather like the curtain comes down on the show. We have to go, so those are my thoughts, thank you very much. Clap, 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 clap. We do have a few moments for questions if anyone would like them. So the questions has to be different to the speech bit. Right, it's like you talk about actually when you're on stage, you have to take a beat mm. and the audience has to know that you've changed, you've pivoted. This is what I prepared, and now we can be very spontaneous. Okay, so you're the speaker, or one of the speakers, maybe it's mm -hmm. a panel discussion, and is there any tips you can give us on how to get into the Q&A, other than make sure that you get applause and announce it, but would you plant questions in the audience beforehand? It's a very good thing to do, especially if it's your company. You could get somebody less well-known in the company to put their hand up and say, I wonder if you could explain that further. But that's rather like... In Prime Minister's question times in the House of Commons in the UK, they often have planted questions to make the Prime Minister look good. Would the Prime Minister agree that they've done a very good job on this? And the Prime Minister goes, well, yes, I suppose we have. Thank you. 
if you really want to see how you have to perform under pressure taking Q&A, definitely watch that's an the, episode that's of the that. That's the top one. When a, you and I went together and we watched it, I mean, and it really is not for the faint-hearted. No, but well done to those people who stand up and ask the questions and answer them. Too. Because actually the questions really aren't questions, they're really traps. Well, that's another thing that I suppose that people have to... To look out for it. I suppose some of the questions coming at you will actually be trying to catch you out. What yes. do you do with those? Well, you might get questions like, are you doing this purely for the benefit of your shareholders or just simply to save face? Now, neither of those answers right. are very good, are they? It's what I call the devil in the deep blue sea question, which is there's no right answer. So uh, you don't take one of those two awful no, choices. You, well, you don't want to answer either. No. So then we have to have these bridging phrases up our sleeves. So we have to say things like, let me save that topic for another time. Today, I'd like to focus on, well, what's important to remember is, or even a very difficult question, no, that's not the case. What is the case here is X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then we transition into a much easier answer. Right. What about that phrase? A lot of people use it. I think they've been taught it. Somebody from the floor asks a question. And then you say, great question. Thank you for that. What is that? Well, it's partly flattery, but it's also thinking time. Oh. So sometimes you ask your question and actually if you say, that's a really good question. Now that's given you two seconds of thinking time, which is quite useful. There's a nice thing you can do using that idea at the beginning. If nobody is coming up with a question, you can say, you know, please come forward with any questions at all. Every question's a great question. And then someone asks a question, you go, that's a great question. So you can kind of get a laugh on that one. Wow, you'd have to be quite experienced to do that. But I, t- I get your point. <laughs> it yeah, does work, I yeah. get your point. So what are your top tips? You know, you're very good at these, Robin. What are your top tips to make it really simple for people for Q&A? Two pieces of advice I would give people is one is really listen to the question. Listen to the end of the question. Otherwise, you start answering it too early and you might be answering the wrong question. Secondly, if you answer too quickly... It doesn't respect the questioner. If somebody asks you a question, wait two or three beats before you answer every single time because it makes you look thoughtful and strategic and it makes it look as if you value the question. It also gives you thinking time. Yeah. And ultimately, it's a chance to show your humanity to the audience. This is you as you at this point. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody asks you a difficult question, you can smile and say, well, yeah, I'd love to know the answer to that. In the past, I've said to the audience, I said, I have absolutely no clue about that one. I said, do we have any ideas? Anyone in the audience can help me out here. And then somebody shouts out something. I thought, it's a very good idea. I'm going to nick that. And it's fine. <laughs> what about if you don't know the answer? What do you do? You genuinely don't know the answer. The first option, obviously, and this is very important on the wording here, is to say, it's a really good question. I don't know the specific answer, but I'm fascinated to know what it is. Let me find out and I can get back to you. Right. What most people do is they put in the word sorry there. Though. I'm sorry I don't know that. I should know, but I'll get back to you. And so you're putting yourself don't down. Don't apologise. So there's no apology about it. Right. I mean, if, for example, in Prime Minister's question times we were talking about, if somebody said, can you tell me what the crime figures were in Leicestershire in 1942? <laughs> well, the answer is you can possibly know. So he goes, well, I don't know, but I can find out. And there's no apology there. I think that's the right thing to do. You don't do that on every question because you can't do that five times. No, no, you can't. But make sure you get the audience member's card or that somebody gets it for you and that you genuinely answer the question. Yes, yes. And the other thing on that is that if you don't know the specific answer, you could be general around it. You could say, I don't know this specific figure, but I think it's probably around 5%. Now, how do you deal with somebody difficult in the audience? Heckling is a mild form of what I'm talking about, but it actually can be aggressive. I'll give you an example. 
I was hosting a panel discussion. It was about issues around public policy and health. And it was a public event, so there were many, many people there. Our audience, we didn't really know their names or where they came from. And in the middle of it, somebody stood up and said, I'd like to ask a question. I said, that's fine, go ahead. And this person started screaming about how much he hated what we were talking about. And Presumably that. he had planned to do that. Absolutely yeah, planned, yeah. because then he cracked open some fake blood and threw it all over himself and wrapped himself in bandages. It was quite a performance, actually. Right. And then I noticed that two other people in the audience were filming him for YouTube or something. Planned event. A planned event yeah. for their own promotion of their protest. Yeah. That's a very extreme example. But what can you do when you get a really difficult person? Well, obviously, you have to wait for security to try and clear it out. You can't wait in yourself. You're, so stand if, still, don't so you, do anything. You stand still, you observe it. Eventually, it finishes. And then you can come up with some wry comment, if you like, it's great to have such support. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a nice undercut of that, in a way, and then move on. If you have a difficult person who won't shut up, and that's the, the other thing. So, you know, this is supposed to be Q&A, question and answer, yeah. not statement and answer. Mm. And when somebody goes on and on and on, and it's not actually a question, you've got two options. You can either say, this is Q&A, so do you have a question? You can do that. Or you can do what I tend to do, which is I put someone on the naughty step. You say their name, rather like a parent might do. Right. So if you don't know their name, you say, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt, I didn't catch your name. And they go, it's David. You go, David? Thank you very much. I'm going to move on now. Really appreciate your comments, but I'm going to move on now for another question. And when you say David in that tone or whatever their name is, <laughs> they suddenly revert to childhood and they stop. So right. that's the way that I do it. And they sit down. One thing I have done sometimes, if I get a really difficult question or a very difficult questioner sometimes, is I say, well, well, I could agree with you, but if I did, we'd both be wrong, <laughs> which is a nice way of doing it, as long as you say it with a smile. <laughs> and the other one I quite like is the US comedian Jack Benny, the old-time comedian, was fantastic, very dry. Somebody insulted him once on stage, and he said, you wouldn't say that to me if my writers were here. <laughs> which is the so, And of course, we hear a lot of comedians, you know, who have these fantastic put-downs ready. But it's quite nice to have the old one up our sleeve. Wow, you'd have to be a confident speaker and quite a bold one to answer that way. But I take your point. You know, if they're getting really difficult with you, you could probably give it a good shot, couldn't you? I remember hearing a, a fantastic reply to an aggressive question where the speaker said, well, I'm not really sure how to answer that question, but I can assure you I'm coming into this with an open kimono. <laughs> which was enough just to diffuse the situation. I bet the audience started laughing. It fell out. And... Sometimes coming out of left field can get you out of trouble. <laughs> but what about if you yourself are moderating the Q&A? I mean, how do you know who to pick? I think the danger, and I've seen people do this, and you will have seen this, is where the speaker just picks on their friends because they know them. And I think that's not right. If you get a series of people saying, well, very nice to see you again, of course, we haven't seen you for long, not since we stayed with you last summer. And you think, well, this isn't a friend's reunion. <laughs> this is, I think everyone should be given a chance. So you try to have a mixture of areas of the room so you're not just using the front row. So yeah. people at the back think they have a chance. And then you have maybe a mixture of ages, different types of people. No, I can see that. So mm. if you are moderating your own event mm. for Q&A, I can see that 
It would be comforting to ask your friends, but you should probably sweep the room and make sure that everybody straining with their hand up is allowed to say their piece and to get some answers from you. What about if you're at, and slightly switching around now, if you're one of those, not professional moderators, but you've been asked to moderate. Yes. So you may not have been the speaker, but you're the moderator. Do you have any top tips? I've noticed that some moderators, for instance, before they start Q&A, and I like this actually, you're talking about being on the naughty step, but they already start saying to the audience, listen, this is Q&A, yes. so keep it concise, mm-hmm. keep it relevant. Yeah, can we you have know, one question at a time, can we have not, one not five question. questions? Yeah, so make sure that you ask one question. Or another thing that more professional moderators do, because it's quite difficult, love to hear your views on this, is they take two or three questions at a time, mm-hmm. and then they bundle them all up and parcel them out to the panel. So what do you think about those techniques I've seen? Yes. I mean, that's what I tend to do. And I would maybe take two or three questions and I'd make my notes. I'm not that I've got a photographic memory or anything, but I'd make notes and I'd then say, okay, so it seems to me we have a couple of questions around these areas and then we'll start off that. And then I think the moderator's job also is to keep it moving along the panel so that one panelist doesn't take over. Yes. And in fact, that happens a lot when one panelist has been more interesting than the others. Or more demonstrative. Or more demonstrative, and then they Mm. naturally gravitate to that, don't they? So what other things do you think a moderator should do in order to keep the energy really in the room? Because like you said, sometimes Mm. there's no questions. Mm. Maybe your speech has been so dull or so intense with so much information. maybe you've answered everything. And maybe you've answered everything. (laughs) But largely a moderator's job, isn't it, is to fluff up energy again. Yes, so the moderator absolutely should have some prep so they come straight in with it. And they can even say, well, actually, whilst we're waiting, here's a question of my own, and they can do that. The other thing they can do in terms of energy is that sometimes you can't really hear the questions if there aren't microphones in the audience. Mm. Sometimes, you know, you have that ice cream cone microphone that comes along <laughs> and, you, you know, you're, it's passed down the row and yeah. eventually it comes to your turn. And the biggest challenge with that, people tell me it's, it's quite frightening to ask a question in the audience yeah. because you think, oh, I've got a really interesting question to ask. So you put your hand up and you get someone's attention. And then by the time the microphone is passed down to you because they're finishing the other question, they've almost answered your question. And now you're stuck with the microphone thinking, I have to say something interesting and my question's already gone. So then you have to invent another question, which is not great. (laughs) But I think what the moderator can do when it's not clear is to say, I'm not sure if people at the back heard the question and then they can rephrase it in a much tighter way. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Actually, you even talking about that, the social anxiety that I have around standing up and asking a question just comes straight back to me. Especially if you have to give your name. It's embarrassing somehow. Well, sometimes it's very important to be able to answer the question. So Mm. the moderator says, please, before you ask your question, could you say your name and your organization? Yes. Because, of course, if it's a newspaper or if it's a shareholder or a fan, it's about a level of detail. You know, they could be asking you a question that's very precise. Yes. Or you could get an idea if it's going to be more general. Yes. I'm a um, professor of mathematics at the top university in the world. Yeah, and I don't think and your the, numbers added up. Yeah, and yeah. then it's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a question, given this is about Q&A, Robin. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting in the audience and I want to ask a question, I don't know why, but I'm usually behind the tallest person in the room. And I'm putting my hand up and maybe the lighting isn't very good either. And I just can't get their attention if I want to ask a question. What do I do? Well, it's rather like in a meeting, you know, who is the most important person around the table and who is the person who's actually deciding. So it could be the people at the side of the auditorium with the microphones who are pointing people out. 
you're trying to catch their attention, or maybe it's the moderator on stage who's choosing. Mm. And maybe if you really want to ask a question, you just have to stand up if you're behind somebody very tall, just wave, catch their eye. Then there's an intention that you do want to say something. At smaller events, it doesn't seem to be too much of a problem. And mm. in fact, you don't even have to raise your arm. You just have to catch the eye yes. of the person chairing the event and they nod at you. It's so elegant. Mm. It's so elegant. Yes. They nod at you and they've got you down. They're probably taking notes about in what order they're going to let. Yes. I think you could probably do that up to maybe 60 or 100 people. Beyond that, I think you'd probably It'd have be to quite hard, the actually. Yes. I've seen moderators say... Yes, thank you very much. I'm coming to you next, but I'm going to let this person over here ask a question because they've had their hand up for a long time. Yeah, on video conference calls where there's a lot of people on the call and people want to ask questions. Obviously, there's the chat function down the side so people can write their questions and then I can pick out a few from there or a moderator will pick out a few. But if they don't have that function and I just see lots of little postage stamp faces on the screen, then I try to say to people, look, give me a big wave and I can see you. Or there's a little yellow hand. A wavy hand. A wavy hand. And I can say, oh, Julie's uh, waving over there. And then you have to pause a minute because they've usually started asking their question and not unmuted. Which is why I tend to say we're coming to Julie, then we're coming to Peter afterwards. Peter's now getting himself ready and unmuted. And so that happens less if you announce who's coming next. Oh, that's a good tip, actually. Mm. And thinking about Q&A on a Teams or Zoom call, going back to the in-person events, quite often they do have some technology in there. The one I've used before is called Slido, where you're asked to put your questions on Slido Mm -hmm. and then you can see them come up behind the panel. And then the moderator doesn't take questions from the audience. The moderator looks behind him or her and then decides which ones to choose. What do you think of those? I think that's a great idea, actually, because a lot of people are very nervous at giving their question out. And this way, you can see if there are six questions all around the same topic of, you know, the new warehouse or the new IT system. And actually say, well, let's just take all those in one go. Yeah, it does make sense. Although I quite like the theatre of people standing up. I think people like to do it, actually. I know it's nerve-wracking, but once you get used to it... I used to be very nervous of speaking in an audience, funnily enough. I was always much more confident on the stage because if you're part of a panel, you're there as an expert, in a sense. So... (laughs) Otherwise, you wouldn't really be on the platform, I assume. So some sort of industry expert anyway. And you also have your radio mic, so you have the volume and the power. But when you're given one of these ice cream cones, you never know quite how close to your mouth to put it. So do you hold it around navel heights? Where do you hold it? And what I tend to do, just from experience, is I hold the ice cream bit of the cone, as it were, just on my chin, lower part of the chin. Just rest it there. And then if you turn left or right or up or down... The microphone stays in the same place. If you don't do that, what happens is you hold your microphone in the centre, you turn to the side and now you're completely off the microphone and then you come back again and you go completely off again (laughs) the other side. And that's not great. Robin, I really wanted to ask you this question. I'm really curious about it. As an audience member, are Mm. there any questions you shouldn't ask or type of questions you shouldn't ask? Well, I think as long as you're socially appropriate, you're probably fine. But imagine, for example, you go to a Q&A after a screening of a movie and suddenly your favourite movie stars there. It would be very odd to say, you, you seem much shorter than you do on film. So you wouldn't necessarily say, so I'm reading the papers that your marriage is not going very well. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah. Because those are journalistic questions. They're not questions that the public should be asking in, I think in a Q&A. you should only ask questions about things to do with that particular speech or lecture or film or, exactly. or so, theatre or, or the whatever topic. it is. Yeah. You shouldn't really use that opportunity to delve into other parts of their lives. And I have seen that. People yeah. think, oh, well, this is the only opportunity I'm ever going to get. I might as well ask it. I've seen actors at those kind of events 
try to get a job. And so they're in the audience asking a question. They're saying, well, actually, you know, if there's anything in your next film, I'd love to discuss it with you afterwards. And you think, how totally inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and that's so interesting. Talking about moderators, Mm. is there anything when a moderator is choosing the person who wants to ask the question? Yeah. Is there a way to identify them out loud and ways not to? Well, I don't think you can say the gorgeous lady in the fabulous red dress on the front row. That would be highly inappropriate. Right. And you can't say the short, fat, bald man on the left. You can't say (laughs) that either. And we had this at Christie's Auctioneers when I was working with them. You can't always pick out somebody because sometimes they don't want to be picked out. Sometimes it's better to say, on my left, at the back, on the front. Right. It's just clearer and you're not going to upset anybody. That's the main point. Yeah, that's absolutely right. If you're already feeling awkward about asking a question and the moderator says to you, Hmm. oh, you with the big hairdo and the purple jacket, you may feel more awkward. Or even one of those comments like, you know, you with the adventurous shirt. (laughs) And you think, I I think that's a compliment, but I'm not sure it is. Yeah, not sure it is. (laughs) So this has been one of the most interesting topics because Q&A is almost turning out to be as important as the speech itself in terms of how you deliver it and how you moderate it and how you answer the questions. And if you're the audience member, how you ask the question, what's appropriate, how you deliver it, how you use a microphone, the moderating tool. Also, the last thing people remember. It's the last thing they see at the end of the evening. So what you really want it to be is super positive. Mm. And and do you end it by saying, I'm really sorry we don't have more time for q and I'm very happy to answer questions at drinks afterwards. Do you do that? Definitely, I do that. The other thing I try to do, because I try to tell funny stories, hopefully, I always finish on a story that I think is going to get the biggest laugh, and then I decide I'm going to finish. <laughs> so I want to finish on a big exit, and I go, thank you very much, I'll see you in drinks afterwards. But that's just my thing, because I like to finish on a journey. Yeah, but that sounds like it's really good advice. Finish well. So it's a very complex subject. But hopefully, through that complexity, the next Q&A that we're involved in can be quite fun. Well, it should be fun. And hopefully we'll learn something and get to know the personality of the speaker. I think that's really what Q&A is about. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com.